Good morning, Harvest. It is so good to be here. Go ahead and uh, go to Mark chapter 14, if you would. Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, For those of you at home, now you can hear me. I wasn't just doing the mime thing. Uh, So glad to be here. So glad to be a part of what's going on this morning as you celebrate 19 years. Um, It is is definitely an honor to be a part of this. Uh, For the very very reasons that that Todd was talking about, you guys had such a huge impact in the launch of our church where you supported us financially. You supported us, uh, greatly supported us financially for those first few years. Um, You supported us with resources and people and, and prayer and all the things you poured into our church. And I'd also say this by just a personal... Um, thank you. I, I'm so thankful for your pastor, Todd. Um, Todd, to me, has been more than just a, a church plant pastor who sent us out. He has been just a, uh, a good friend, a good brother, an older brother, much older brother, but uh, super, super thankful for Todd. Todd has been there for me personally in times that have been very difficult for me. Um, he's been there uh, with, with care. And I know people have this view of Todd as he's kind of the hard, I just speak the truth. And this way. I, mean, I, I know him as a tender-hearted, caring man who would step into whatever needs to be stepped into. And I hope you know him that way as well. Um, he's loved by me, for sure, by my wife, by my kids, because he buys them candy all the time. And he's loved by our church. I hope you love him as well. I know you do. I'm super thankful, Todd, uh, that you'd let me be a part of this this morning. Here's the thing as I think about the years of Harvest Berry. Um, there's been a lot of change, right? You, you, can, you can see all the things that have, have changed. You've seen changes in location where you've, you've worshipped in many different places. Um, there's been changes in, in leadership and pastors and, and people who have been a part of this and, and changes in even strategies of what it looks like to, to go forward with the gospel to, to, to your communities and to the nation. But there, there has been a constant throughout the years of Harvest Berry. A constant that if everything else was thrown away, if, 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 if a strategy changed, if, if God called one of the leaders here to somewhere else because God needed them to, to launch out something else and God called them out of here, if, if those things change, we can let go of so many of those things without a ton of angst. But there's one thing that we can never let go of as a church. One thing that actually provides hope and joy and purpose and it's this, it's, it's what this church has been about since it launched out, what it continues to be about, what our lives are to be about. It is all about Jesus. In fact, there's a, a worship song that's been on my phone. It's been on repeat a lot lately. It's, it's not a new song, but, but it was new to me, and I've been listening to it a lot lately. And it's a, a song that, that, that's called Jesus is Better. And, and here's some of the lines from that song. It says this, in all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In every victory, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. And and these lines are so powerful. And and, and why would lines like that resonate so deeply with us? And I, I think it has a lot to do with the hardships we feel in life. I mean, think about the season we're in right now, the, the uncertainty of this season. I mean, if COVID's done one thing, it's, it's certainly revealed a lot. And it's, it's not that, that with COVID here that there, there's any, any, it wasn't like there wasn't sorrow and, and, and trouble before, but it, it's revealed a lot because what it's done is it's taken away some of those things that we were, we were able to use to cover up fear and, and, and hurt and pain. And, and now those things we would typically go to, a lot of those have been taken away from us and our heart issues now are on the surface. 
relationship struggles are front and center. And there's an uncertainty to it. But in saying that, listen, even if COVID was not a part of our life today, cancer is going to come. Miscarriages will happen. Relationships will have struggles. Struggles will be a part of our lives. And, and, and the only way we're going to get through all of these things, all of these moments, is to know that Jesus is holding us through every single one of these moments. And, and for us to see, to really experience what, what the book of Hebrews in, in chapter 6, verse 19 says, that, that in Jesus we have an anchor for our soul. That in times of uncertainty, when everything else seems to be falling apart, that, that our lives can be truly anchored in a joy of this deeper truth that Jesus is better. In fact, with that truth, with that anchor for our souls, we can even get to a place where we would rejoice in our sufferings and our sorrows because through them we're, we're knowing Jesus in a way and seeing Jesus act in a way that we've never known him before. But maybe for some of you, it's, it's that you need to see Jesus, are, are, Jesus is not just better than your sorrows, that Jesus is better than your victories. Because you've chased after success, you've, you've sacrificed and spent your life achieving and accomplishing and now you're sitting around and you're thinking, is this all there is to life? Isaiah 26, 8 says it this way. Oh Lord, we wait for you. Your name and your fame are the desires of our souls. The anchor of the Christian life is this. That, that my, my desires, my joy, my satisfaction are found in Christ alone. Listen, it's an eternal truth. It's, it's also a call for every one of us this morning. It's an eternal truth. In fact, Psalm 1611 says that in your presence, there is a fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, that, that's the truth. Our joy, our satisfaction are found in Christ alone. That, that his name, his fame, it will fill the universe Eternal joy and satisfaction. It, it's guaranteed for those who place their hope in Christ. That, that through him, through his substitutionary death, through his victorious resurrection, that there is true hope and true joy. That's not a maybe. That, that Jesus being glorified is not a maybe. That, that in the end, there will be no more competing kings, no more competing idols, no more competing thrones. It's an eternal truth. But listen, it's also a call for us this morning. That there's nothing more important in your life than finding your joy and your satisfaction in Christ alone. And it's the way God designed our souls that we've been designed in a way that we cannot be satisfied in, in winning promotions, in, in gaining riches, in, in living a comfortable life. Instead, our hearts are designed in such a way that our souls only find true joy and true hope in Jesus. Anchored in, in knowing, in experiencing Jesus to be better than anything this world has to offer. That's our joy. 
And it starts with Christ supernaturally changing you, being born again. And, and your heart sees Jesus as better, that, that he's your greatest joy and satisfaction. And then your life then is about, I want to live for his name and for his fame, to, to know him. That's what being a Christian is. Anything else other than that is a wasted life. Now, I, I can imagine me, me saying all this. It's, it's about joy. We find our joy in Christ. And you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know Jesus has said some things. And he, he said that to follow him actually is to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Now, Jesus does say to deny yourself. He says, he says, don't put your hope and your joy and your satisfaction in yourself, but instead die to that. Die with Christ and listen, be raised again to a new life. Because right after he says, deny yourself and take up your cross, he says this, whoever tries to save their own life, putting their hope in anything outside of Christ, seeking joy anywhere else. If you try to save your life that way, he says, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus, you gain it all. All the desire, all the joy, all the satisfaction, all the hope. Jesus is basically saying, hey, hey, don't throw away an eternity of joy for the just short life of, of self-indulgence, of seeking things to build up your heart that never will. And Jesus is saying this, assuming that we aren't dumb, but that we would trade everything this world has to offer to have joy with him forever. So let me quickly, let me quickly show you from Mark chapter 14. How, how is this practically lived out? I think is a problem for us today is, is, is that it's, it seems too hard to believe that, that I can have a full joy. And we actually struggle to believe that Jesus is better. That's why I love the, the lines in that song where it says, make my heart believe. That's my prayer for us this morning. God, would you, would you make my heart believe that Jesus is better? Where, where I'm not believing it right now, God, will you make my heart believe that Jesus is better? Would you make my heart believe that he's better than my sorrows? That he's better than my victories? That, that he's better than, than my comfort and, and riches? Because listen, for a believer, this is what it comes down to. It comes down to this. Do you actually believe that Jesus is better? That your joy and your satisfaction are found in him alone? Because really, this, this is the anchor for our soul in troubled times. This is the anchor when we have riches and success. The, the only anchor that shows you're a true follower of Christ is this. Do you believe that Jesus is better? I mean, even right now, even right now, as you, as you think about, about man, is, is Jesus calling you to something? Maybe in this season, he's, he's, been, he's been pressing on your heart. Is there something he's pressing in on for you to trust him in this season? Is there something he's calling on you right now saying, I need this to change. I want you to pursue this instead. And is God pressing in on your heart and he's calling you, but, but fear is, is holding you back. You're, you're afraid of, man, what will this cost? What will it mean for my life if I say yes to this? How, how drastically will my life have to change for me to pursue this, for me to obey what God calls me to obey? Well, let's see from God's word this morning. What does it look like for our lives to display what we say our heart believes? That Jesus is better. Look at Mark chapter 14. If you get your Bibles open. Verse 1, it says this. 
It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So here we are, we're, we're entering into Jesus' last couple weeks of er, on earth, and, and he's about to be crucified. Everyone's looking to kill him. And, and in front of this backdrop of darkness, we see this beautiful shining light of the account here. Look at verse 3, it starts this way. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, now in John's account, in John chapter 12, we get a little more detail about what's happening here. Right? This is a party that's being thrown for Jesus by, by these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and they're throwing this party as a way to say thank you to Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead. Right? I mean, you, for sure, you'd be, you'd be throwing a party if, if you just got raised from the dead by Jesus. If, if, if it was your brother or your sibling, you, you'd for sure be throwing this party. And, and they're in this house of Simon the leper. Super unfortunate nickname, right? Tough nickname. Likely what's going on here is this guy was healed by Jesus. So he's, he's the one who'd love to host this party as well because he used to have leprosy. Now he's healed. Why would I say used to? Because if he had leprosy at the time, listen, no mask wearing and social distancing. That wasn't how they, they rolled back then. It would be like, no, you can't come near that guy with leprosy. So obviously this is a guy who's been healed hosting this party. And here they are, this, this huge group of people, right? So, so you can imagine Martha probably in the kitchen putting together the most amazing meal. The, the disciples, they would have all been there as well. And I, I can picture Peter maybe being at the center of it, just talking it up and, and looking at, at this guy, the leper, Simon the leper, going, Simon, you're out of quarantine. This is awesome. So good. And you look so much better now without your skin falling off. Remember when you were dead? That was awesome. And you came out like, like return of the mummy. That was amazing, right? And all of this happened, everyone laughing and, and enjoying the party. But in the midst of this celebration, in the midst of all the conversations, Mary walks in. And we know this from John's account that it was Mary, Lazarus' sister. And she's about to do something at this party that causes everything to come to an abrupt halt. Like the music stops, the conversation ends, uh, you hear a plate smashing off in the distance, right? Everyone's in shock and horror. What happens? Look at, look at verse 3 again. It says, as he was reclining, Jesus, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, now you might think in that moment, everybody would be like, wow. Mary, that was beautiful. Well done, Mary. But look what happens. Look at verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. She pours out this nard, and another word for it is spike nard. It's, it's this perfume that comes by taking this, this flowering plant from the Himalayas. Or you can imagine why it's so expensive when you think about how hard it would be to, to get this perfume. It's why it costs 300 denarii worth. If you're like, oh, obviously 300 denarii, of course. Like, what does that even mean? What, what's three, 300 denarii? Hopefully you've got a Bible. Maybe there's a little number there beside that, right? You got one of those. You go down to the bottom and what's it say? It's worth, right? That, that a, a denarii is a, a day's labor. So you think 300 denarii, it's, it's, it's a little more than a year's salary worth. 
So put yourself in Mary's shoes here. Think of a year's salary for you. How long would it take to save up a year's salary? Not how long would it take to make it. We know that's a year to make it, but, but to actually to scrimp and save and, and, and be putting it away more of it a little bit at a time. And as your saving account builds up and you finally have that amount of money. And she pours it all out on Jesus. And people at the party are livid. They're like, what the blankety blank is she doing? Like they really swore. I think so. I think we sometimes read the Bible with a British accent and indignantly they said this. No, no, that word indignantly, it it gives this impression that there was a deep shock and anger over what she did. She poured out her life savings. I mean, this was her financial security. If, if something terrible were to happen in Mary's life, if, if famine or sickness or war came, this was her safety. This was her security for life. And she breaks it open and pours it out on Jesus. I mean, can you imagine loving someone that much? I mean, this is Mary saying, my joy and my satisfaction are found in Jesus alone. Jesus, you are better. Jesus, you're you're the most precious thing I have. This is the most valuable thing I own, and I give it to you. This is my security. This is my hope. This is what calmed my fears when I worried about what tomorrow would bring. But Jesus, you're my security. You're my hope. You're my greatest joy and satisfaction. Jesus, you are better. So let me ask you this morning. For those of you here, for those of you watching at home, what's your alabaster flask? What to you is most precious? You're most valuable. That that thing in your life, if if it were taken away from you, you would lose a sense of, of safety or identity or security or hope. I mean, what is that? Is it your, your career, your job, maybe the potential of a career as you work towards it? Is it your home? Is it a retirement plan? Is it a relationship or, or a lack thereof that you're pursuing? Is, is it your status or your image? Is it control or comfort? What is that? Because Jesus is saying this morning, I'm better. There's, there's greater joy in me. There's an anchor and a hope that those things can't touch. That nothing's better than Jesus. And everybody's getting after Mary here and they're like, what are you thinking? Do, do you know what we could have done with that, that 50,000 or 60,000 or 100,000, whatever that number is for you for a, a yearly income? The, like, what could we have done with that? Everyone looking and seeing the cost of this perfume and Mary, all she could see was Jesus. When's the last time people thought you were nuts for how you followed Jesus? How you poured out your love for Christ, your joy for him, something that you gave up. And people thought, man, you're all in on this. Maybe it's a joy you had in the season of loss. Maybe even in this season, do do people see you talk more about, spend more time about social media, posting more about COVID or more about Jesus? 
Now, Mary doesn't stop there and pouring this all out on Christ. In fact, in John's account, we see that she also bent down at Jesus' feet and began wiping and washing his feet with her hair. See, she's already said, Jesus, here, here, you can have all that I own. And now in this act of worship, she says, you also can have all that I am. You see, in in this culture, at this time, a woman would keep her hair tied up and hidden. She, She would never let it down. Only in the privacy of her home would she ever do this. Typically, only maybe her husband would ever see her hair down. But listen, when you've seen the king in his beauty, when, when you've, you've recognized the pearl of great price, when the eyes of your heart are open like Mary's were here, and you've seen Jesus in all of his glory, that, that when Jesus shows up, it's like when the sun comes out, it's so bright, you can't see the stars anymore. And and you now have a a whole new spiritual accounting process. Because the things that used to seem so valuable, the, the, the things that had your heart gripped now seem so dispensable in the presence of Christ. And it's in that moment when, when Jesus explodes into your life with transformation, with healing, with redemption, that everything changes. It's, it's in that moment when, when those things that you, you thought were so important for your security and they begin to fade in the light of Jesus' glory and his grace. And, and what happens in that moment, you become courageous, you become joyful, you become satisfied, you become hopeful, you become faith-filled and loving, not fearing anything. I mean, don't we want to be a people like that? Doesn't our world right now especially need to see this? That following Christ is like we're, we're a seed that dies. But, but, but then through its death, something greater and newer grows. So, so yes, you deny yourself and, and the cross becomes life to you because it's in that place where you find true joy. You find satisfaction. You find identity. You find purpose. All of it anchored in Jesus. And here's the thing we see here with Mary and what she does. When she falls to her feet, listen, listen. Ultimately, God does not want your things. God wants you. And as Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair, she was giving all that she was to Jesus. This love and this joy she had in her explodes to a point where she could give a rip about what anybody else thought. She's a social etiquette. I I don't care. And there's a a love and a joy. All she could see was Jesus. And she's at his feet saying, Jesus, this is the best of me. I mean, think about how much humility is going on in that act of worship. So much love, so much trust. Jesus, this is all that I have and all that I am. Now, there's something even deeper going on here in this. Look at verse 6. She gets scolded and Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. So Jesus says, leave Mary alone. And why? Mary's understanding the unbelievable gift of Jesus' presence and she gets the worth of Jesus. 
You see, because we read in the other two accounts of what happens here, that, that when Jesus says, hey, leave her alone, he's actually talking to Judas in this moment. It was really Judas that was bringing up this, man, what a waste. We could have used that money for the poor. Why was Judas saying that? Because he didn't give a rip about the poor. He was using the poor as a cover for what made him feel joyful, which was stealing money from the gifts. Judas wants the money. He does not want Jesus. But Mary saw Jesus, valued Jesus as better. Her joy and her satisfaction found in Christ alone. Mary also understood this, that in this act, she understood that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. She had seen Jesus raise her brother Lazarus from the dead as as proof that Christ was the way of life, that, that in Christ alone do you find hope and eternal life. And not in your works, not in what you do, but in him alone. Trusting in him alone, in his death, and his resurrection. You see, the perfume she poured out on Jesus was actually a perfume used in burials. Now, why, why, would, you, why would you bring perfume to a burial? Well, um, I've been kind of getting my head wrapped around this in the last little while because for some reason, my dog loves dead animals. She will find them wherever they are in the forest and just roll in them because she thinks it's the sweetest smell ever. And then she'll come home all proud, just covered in this kind of black gunk. And just, I'm telling you, she thinks it smells great. It smells awful. Death is potent, right? And the aroma of this perfume was so strong that it would actually cover up the very stink of death. That's, That's what it was used for. And she pours this out on Jesus. Why? I think Mary had been listening to Jesus so closely. As Jesus said over and over again, I'm here to die. She knew that. And and her trust and her her love and her hope and her her gratitude, her her satisfaction was in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Mary believed he, he wasn't just a man going to die for her, but that he was God the Son. That he was there to triumph over sin and over death. So what do you do for a person who does this for you, who is, who is triumphing over sin and death? How, how, how do you treat a person who brings eternal life, who gives you a joy unspeakable? I mean, do you hold back? Do you hedge your bets? Do you worry about, I don't know if he really loves me. I don't know if he actually cares for me. I mean, Mary shows us the only proper way to treat a person like this, and she gives him everything she has everything that she is, and she worships. She pursues her greatest joy. Look how Jesus describes it in verse 9. Jesus says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are, here we are, right? 2,000 years later, just talking about this act of worship. And Jesus saying, hey, look at what she did. It's beautiful what she did. It's beautiful. Jesus saying, when when the affections of my people match my worthiness, when when the worship of my people line up with who I am. So let me say this, Harvest. Listen, listen. If, If any voice raises up, like the voices in these parties, any voice, whether it's a voice in your heart, a voice in your family, a voice in culture rises up and says, hey, hey, you need to moderate your love for Jesus. Don't listen. Let your affection for Jesus be over the top. If if any voice, whether it's inner or or a voice from the outside, tempts you to, to seek after money or power or comfort, listen, don't listen. Jesus is your riches. 
All, all the money, all the comfort, all the fame, all the power, all the recognition can't compare to him. Listen, if any voice tells you that his death and resurrection is anything less than a triumph over death, don't listen. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though they die, yet shall they live. Whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. I mean, what do we see here? What Jesus is saying in verse 9. Ultimately, again, Jesus does not want your things. He wants you. And I'll tell you this. The hardest thing to give is in. Let me say that again. The hardest thing for us to give most often is to give in is to surrender. But when you understand who Jesus is, that he's, he's better, that, that he wants you to experience a joy and a satisfaction found only in him. Listen, what do you do? You begin to rest in his presence like Mary. You find that humble place, that, that trusting place. I, I heard this account, this, this story of a tourist who was in Ireland. And, and they were watching a shepherd one day. And the, what the shepherd was doing, as they, as they so often would do, is they, he was picking up one by one each one of his sheep. And he was, he was putting them in this huge vat of antiseptic. And he's, he's having to push them under because the sheep do not want to go in this stuff. It, it stings their eyes. It tastes horrible. And he's pushing them. Why? Because it takes care of parasites and infections. He doesn't want his sheep to be sick. So he's, he's doing this one at a time. And the sheep are, are kicking, are screaming out. I don't know what noise a sheep makes or screams, but yelling and trying to bite. They're pushing away. And, and, and the person watching this, he thought, he thought man, man, if only the sheep knew the purpose. But here's the thing, they never would. Instead, what do they have to do? They would have to trust the hand and the heart of the shepherd that was doing this to them. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, I know whom I have believed. He, he doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, I know what Jesus is up to. I mean, I get it as I'm writing here from prison. I, I know why. As I get beaten and whipped again, as I'm shipwrecked, as I'm finding myself cold and hungry and lost. No, no, no. He doesn't say, I know what Jesus is up to. He says, I know whom I have believed. Our, our peace, our joy comes in that knowledge, knowing the shepherd. In those hard days when you can't see his hand, that you can trust his heart. And Mary knew the joy of this trust. All through scripture, we find her in the same place. We find Mary at the feet of Jesus. Jesus was over at their house. And another time we read about where Martha's in the kitchen. And where was Mary? Mary was at the feet of Jesus listening. When her brother Lazarus dies, we read in John 11 that when Jesus showed up, Mary fell to his feet. And here again at this party, where is she? She's at his feet. All the while, all the while being transformed by him. Being changed by him. Getting a fuller and fuller view of Jesus until it became the most natural place for her to, to give Jesus everything. Why? Because she says, I know whom I've believed. So, so here's our application as we close this morning. The application as we, as we hear this, it can't be this. It can't be, hey, I'll be a Mary and give Jesus everything. Because if, if that's the application, listen, we won't make it. We won't last. Listen, she got there by sitting at his feet. So we get ourselves to this place of humility. We get ourselves to this place of listening to him in his word and in prayer. And as you find yourself there, you will come to see that your joy and your satisfaction come from Christ alone. When, when you get to that place to rehearse the gospel every day, 
that yes, you're sinful and broken so much that you wouldn't want anybody else in this room to know the sin that you wrestle with in your heart. But at the same time, at the same time, you, you are loved in a way that you can't even begin to understand. That Christ went to the cross to redeem you, to save you, to make you his own. And, and little by little, as you stay there, as you stay at his feet, you'll, you'll feel him changing you transforming you to really believe that Jesus is better. Until it becomes the most, most natural thing in all the world, the most joyful thing to surrender everything to him, to trust him even with tomorrow. Because here's the thing, listen, Jesus didn't hold back. Jesus gave in abundance, over the top, extravagantly gave his love for us, gave everything that he had. On the cross, you have to recognize that Jesus was the true alabaster flask, that he was broken and poured out on us. So if you're a believer here this morning, if you're believers, you're watching from home, listen, there ought to be this lingering smell of Jesus about you. A joy about you, that Jesus is better. If you don't know Christ, you get to the feet of Jesus today as well. And you rest in the same thing. You put your hope, your trust saying, Jesus, I need you and you alone. That everything else might give away. And even in that sorrow, you'd, you'd learn to trust the hand of the shepherd. That he's for your joy and for your satisfaction. That, that in your victories and blessings, that none of them come close to the joy and satisfaction you find in Christ. And so even now, even now as we close, let's go to the feet of Jesus. Let's ask Jesus to change us today. To transform us. To as that worship song that I quoted at the beginning of this message says, God, would you make my heart believe this today? I mean, let's pray for that miracle to grow in us, the, the miracle of salvation, that we can't grow this joy, but, but that God saved you, that that same God who saved you is the one who's awakening this joy in your heart to be able to embrace this truth. Listen, Jesus is better. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that you didn't hold anything back in your love for us, but you gave everything, the, the best of all you have, the best of all you are, that, Father, you broke Jesus and poured him out for us so that we could look like him. Lord, across this room and into all those who are watching at home, God, we want to smell like Jesus. We want to do the things he did. We, we want to say the things he said. We want to point the whole world to this person who is our joy and our hope, who is our everything. That the, the name and the fame of Jesus, that, that God, from this church, from, from our hearts, from our lives and our families, that the name and fame of Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, would be our greatest desire. that we would know you today and we would come to that place at your feet that you are better. Lord, make that true this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.